Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. Well, good morning. Um, I would ask you to take your Bibles to the book of Romans. We are going to be doing a, a, having a time of study and a time of singing, and I'm going to be talking, and we'll have the time of singing. We'll be doing this throughout the morning here, and, and I've just got some things to, to uh, encourage our thoughts with a little bit here this morning. Begin our first thought out of the book of Romans. There's, there's three thoughts that I want to give us, three great benefits of the resurrection. You know, as Christians, the Bible does not command us to celebrate an Easter Sunday. It doesn't say that on the first Sunday after the full moon, after the spring equinox, that's when, which is you want how Easter's picked, that is uh, when you're supposed to celebrate the resurrection. We, of course, know we celebrate it every Sunday, and, and, and as often as we take the table, and it's a part of who we are. But what I love about Easter is it's an opportunity to zero in on what makes Christianity distinctive. What is it about our message that we bring to the world? What is the uniqueness of this message of Christ? What is it when we talk about Jesus dying on a cross and, and we sing songs about his blood washing over us? I mean, if you knew nothing of Christianity and you, and you read some of the lyrics that we sing, you would think, you guys are crazy. You're talking about how worthless you are and someone's blood is washing over you and, and, it, and it seems somewhat barbaric and, and yet... We sing it, and we smile, and we raise our hands, and we cry, and, and it means everything to us. Why? Well, today we're going to just zero in on three wonderful benefits of the resurrection of Jesus, and, and these benefits are, are mind-blowing, and we're going to look at them. The first one we're going to look at, the outline's there in your bulletin, is that your sins have been paid for. Now, we know what that means. We understand the in many ways, some of us know that, that saying, at least. We've heard that saying, Jesus died for your sins. And, and we, what we want to do is zero in and unpack what that means in, in all of its fullness here this morning. And I want to do this by, by looking at Romans chapter 6. Let me set the context for us, and then I'll read the verse. Where, some of the verses we're jumping in. In Romans 6, Paul is talking about sin. And he had just finished in chapter 5 saying, wherever there's sin, there's grace. And, and, and it doesn't matter. You can't out-sin God's grace. And, and if that's true, uh, it is the most amazing news ever. And then Paul begs the question at the beginning of chapter 6. He says, so then if there's grace where there's sin, why not just keep sinning, right? And, and he's saying, no, that's silly talk. You don't want to do that. And in verse 3, he begins to explain why. And that's the verse I want us to look at here today, as we begin at least in verse 3. He says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? That right there is one of the unique marks of Christianity, that statement right there. In fact, if anybody were to ask me, what is it that makes Christianity different from all other belief systems in the world? It is that verse right there. Now, when you read that verse, you might go, that verse seems a little strange to me. I don't, I don't quite understand what that verse means. That all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Well, there's two things I need to define here for you this morning. And, and then we'll go back and look at the verse and you'll see how hopeful it is and what's there. The two things I need to define is, first of all, baptism and second, death. Those are the two words you got to understand there. And when you understand those two words, you'll understand this passage. You know, baptism, 
was a key part of the uh, worship of the early church, key part of the entire uh, conversion of someone. When someone placed their faith in Christ, the very first thing that the church did was baptize that person. Right? Somebody said, I believe in Jesus, great. They found water, they put them in the water, they brought them out of the water. And they said, we are baptizing you into his death, raising you into his resurrection in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why would they do that? What is it about baptism that's that significant? Well, baptism, first of all, I want you to think about this. I think of baptism much like a wedding ceremony. Two people fall in love, and they decide, this is it. I want to be with this person forever. And so what do they do? They get married. And we have this incredible ceremony, right? All these people coming up, and, and your friends and families come in, and, and you have this ceremony. And in the ceremony, there's all these, these things that are going on. And each one of them have a particular a picture and symbol to them. Some of the pastor asks, who gives this woman to this man? And, and, and the father says, her mother and I, right? The giving of the bride, an incredible picture of that moment of what's going on and then a, a call to a commitment will you take this woman yes will you take this man yes all right come on up here then let's make your vows towards each other let's commit to God that will be there for better or for worse and then we light some kind of candle or do other kinds of ceremony to symbolize unity and then the pastor says in the name of the father son and the holy spirit I, I pronounce you husband and wife let no one ever tear you apart. A glorious moment. And when we talk about marriage, we will oftentimes say the day you got married. You were married on such and such a day. We refer to that moment. We don't necessarily refer to the day you fell in love. Or we say, when did you get married? How long have you been married? We mark things by that point. But that ceremony is deeper than just a ceremony. It, it's, it's the natural outpouring of your love. We are trusting in Christ. There's something we're trusting in when we become a Christian. And when we trust in this, and we'll talk about what that is in a second here, when we trust in this, the natural response is baptism. You go down, you come out. Why is baptism the natural thing? Because of the next great word in here, the word death. We need to understand what this word death means. You know, the message of Christianity is that Jesus died for your sins. We hear that. People say that all the time, right? He died for you. There's bumper stickers, T-shirts, all kinds of things. But what does it mean that Jesus died for you? Well, some people might say, well, wages of sin is death. You sinned. God said the wages of sin is death. You're going to die now. And, uh, but Jesus stepped in your place as a substitute, and he died in your place. That is true. I'm not debunking any of that. But what we have to understand is what does it mean that Jesus was a substitute for us? We have to understand that word substitution. There are two meanings of the word substitute. I'm going to give you the Steve Leston theology of these meanings. The first meaning, we're going to call it the basketball meaning. And the second meaning of the word substitute is the pregnant mama meaning. Okay? And so I'll explain both of these to you. First, the, sub, the, the basketball meaning. Let me explain to you what this means. I need you for a moment, if you can, if you can picture our auditorium as a basketball court, okay? <laughs> There'd be a hoop at this end, a hoop at that end, maybe a scoreboard over there, some banners on the side, bleachers. I know some of you aren't creative enough, you might not be able to do this, but uh, if your neighbor's creative, let them describe it to you. Uh, but picture this as a basketball court, okay? Now, 
During a game, what happens? A player's playing, they're getting tired, the coach is sitting over there, notice that he's tired, and so what does he do? He says, hey, you, get off the bench and substitute for this person. Get in and play for him. And so this horn goes off, and there's this one player goes out, another player goes in, right? And they, they substitute each other. Some people think that the cross was just that. You're this sinner. You deserve to die for your sins. You deserve to spend an eternity in hell. And Jesus said to God, hey, put me on the court. Take them off the court. Put me on the court, and, and I'll substitute for them. But that isn't actually 100% accurate. It's missing a key piece. Because what's the problem? The problem is I did all these sins that are worthy of death. If Jesus just steps in on the court and plays for me, he's innocent, right? If he steps in and dies for me, I'm walking off guilty. I'm still guilty. I did them, right? That isn't a legal thing to do. That is not a right thing to do, right? You can't have somebody in court and, and he, he murdered somebody and the judge is going to sentence him to life in prison and his twin brother stands up and says, hey, I'll, I'll go to prison for him. And the judge says, okay, hey, here's twin, go, right? The guilty guy's walking out. The whole family's going to go, wait a minute. He did the crime. He deserves to pay. So there's more to this idea of substitution than Jesus just hanging there in your place. Now we move to the second definition of substitution, the pregnant mama. What is the pregnant mama element? Well, woman gets pregnant, what happens? She starts eating for two, right? Everything she does, she does for a baby. Now she stops drinking caffeine, she, start, she starts realizing, oh, if I eat this kind of food, my baby kicks. And she's aware because everything that she does is she's doing it on behalf of the baby because she's connected to the baby and the baby's connected to her. Her actions directly impact that baby when it's in her womb, right? Directly impacts it. And so when a woman gets pregnant, the doctor says, oh man, here's all the things you can do. Here are all the things you can't do. Here's how you sleep. Here's how you eat. Here's what happens. Here's what's going to happen in every month of the thing and all of this stuff because now everything you do, you're doing for your baby and you really are doing it for them because you're connected to this baby. When Jesus died on a cross, somehow God literally placed our sin upon him and then judged him so that you literally have been crucified with Christ. Right? Isn't that great news? It's so mind-blowing. Look back at verse 3. You've been baptized into Christ Jesus. Do you see why they did the baptism? You know what? When I'm trusting in Christ, I'm believing that my sin was really there. And I died with him. And I was raised with him. There's no other ceremony. There's no other response to faith than you died and were raised. What is the good news? I want to say it this way. Jesus did not die on a cross so that you could have life. Sounds heretical, doesn't it? Jesus did not die on a cross so you could have life. Jesus died on the cross so that you could die for your sins. That your sin would be covered, literally. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 3, 1 through 4. He's trying to make this point. He says, if you've been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. 
Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things of the earth. For you have died. You died with him there. Isn't that good news? You died. Your sin was really covered. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. What does that mean? That means that your salvation, your, the forgiveness of your sins, is not something that God is just doing progressively over time. He's not sitting there saying, well, boy, you know, I forgave your yesterday's sins, but I'm not going to forgive your tomorrow's sin. He put them all there. You have died with him. What does that mean? Forgiveness. The great news of the gospel isn't come to Jesus and become a fundamentalist. It's come to Jesus because your sins can be completely forgiven. That is wonderful news. Why don't you stand with me and let's just sing in response to that great news. We sing that song because we have the hope, the actual hope that when Christ was dying, God was placing our sin upon him and therefore... We died too. But then that gives us the next great hope of the resurrection of Jesus. The next great truth that we proclaim when we talk about Christianity, that life has been given to us. Look at verse 4 of Romans 6. He says, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. He's saying, okay, when you, when you heard that message and you said, listen, your sins were placed on Jesus and, and the consequences were placed upon you and you believe that and they brought you in and you said, man, I believe it and they dropped you in that water and they pulled you out of that water. He said, when that happened, what happened? You were not only brought into, your sin in your life was not only brought into his life, his death, it was also brought into his resurrection. What does that mean? It means the same spirit that, it, that empowered Christ's physical body to rise from the dead is the same spirit that you're given when you trust Christ. The other while back, actually, I was watching an interview of an extreme snowboarder. This guy was crazy. He would go up in a helicopter. Maybe you've seen this guy. Goes up in a helicopter, goes to the top of a mountain, a super high mountain where you know you gotta wear oxygen to get up this high. And uh, and you know just un what, what I don't know what do you call it? No pads, right? It's not a ski hill, it's just a mountain. And he would strap a snowboard onto his feet, <laughs> helicopter would take him up the top, he'd jump out of the helicopter onto the mountain and start snowboarding down the mountain. It's crazy, super dangerous. You know, you're watching this thinking even though I'm watching a film of him and he's being interviewed while the film's going, I still think he's going to die, right? Even though he's clearly alive because he's doing the interview afterwards. But, but you're still thinking, he's going to die. This is super dangerous. And so the interviewer asks him, why do you do this? What makes you do this? And he says, I walk around life all day feeling dead. That's the only time I feel alive. He's not the only one that way, right? Now, most people don't jump out of helicopters on the mountains with snowboards, but a lot of people drink. A lot of people do drugs. A lot of people live a promiscuous lifestyle. A lot of people get into consumerism, right? Spend yourself into all kinds of debt to make yourself happy. Get new stuff all the time. Uh, you, we, just, we, we turn to addiction to give us life. And Paul says, listen, do you realize something? 
And when Christ died, he not only died to, to cover the consequence of your sin, he was raised so that you could be given life and you could walk in the newness of life. You get something different. You get the very spirit of God. You know, you realize something. Jesus didn't die so that we could follow a bunch of rules. He died to give us life. He didn't die just to tell you all the things you couldn't do with your life. He died to give you life. He rose from the dead so that you could be infused with life. This new life is something actually the Bible longs for. It cries out for it. The words of the Bible, if you were to read through them, you would see this promise of newness coming throughout the whole of the Bible. Here's just a few places. In Psalm 40, Psalm 40, it says that you get a new song, right? There's, when, when, when this happens, when the Messiah comes, you get to sing a new song. You're not walking around with the funeral dirges anymore. You get a new song. Ezekiel 36 says you get a new heart, right? That old heart that's filled with stone is gone. You get a brand new heart. Ezekiel 18 says you get a new spirit, right? The, most people don't even, they, they feel like they're just, they're, they're, they're dead inside. They're walking around dead, and yet he says, I'll give you a spirit that's alive, that will give you life. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says you get to become a new creation. Galatians 6.15 says you get to become a new creature. Ephesians 4.24 says you get to be a new man. Revelation 2.7 says you get a new name, man. You get to be part of a whole new family. You get, right? You're not defined by the, the badness of your past now. You get to be part of a family of God where God is your father. You've got a new name. It's incredible to think about. This is why Paul says in verse 5, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united in him with a resurrection like his. Right? The, the very spirit that entered Christ is what enters us. And so, and so we get an opportunity to be transformed. And I believe people need to hear this message. I believe that walking around are people who are, who are aching inside, that, 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 that are looking to addictions, they're looking for consumerism, they're looking to alcohol, they're looking to, to inappropriate relationships, adultery, they're looking at all kinds of things, drugs and everything they could possibly think of to get some kind of feeling inside of them. And yet Jesus said, listen, I know you're dead. I know you're dead and this world can't fill it. Money can't fill it, stuff can't fill it. But my spirit can fill it. And that's one of the great blessings. It's one of the unique messages. So, so as a Christian, I get a chance to tell people, you know what makes us distinct? Man, I've been united with Christ in his death and my sins have been forgiven. I've been united with Christ in his resurrection and I have life. Not just eternal life, I have life now. I'm alive now. I have his spirit in me now. That is great news. So what marks Christianity as being different, so our sins are forgiven because our sins were there on the cross. We died with him. Life has been given to us. We've been raised with him. And then comes this incredible, glorious truth that total freedom from sin is available. Now, you might look at that and go, that one is crazy because I think I might have sinned yesterday. <laughs> if I'm totally free from sin, what does that mean? Well, I'll explain that to you. Let's look at verse 6. 
Paul says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Here's the point. God designed our salvation to unite us to something that will destroy the power of sin over us. I want to explain this to you. The best way to think about it is to think about it from the standpoint of somebody who is in the United States Coast Guard or the Navy, but I'm just picking the Coast Guard because they very rarely get identified, right? United States Coast Guard. Somebody's in the Coast Guard. There's an interesting thing. When you are in the Coast Guard, once you go in, this is true of the Navy as well, once, when you go in, you are always on duty, they say. You're always on duty. Even when they're going to give you leave, they don't call it leave, they just call it liberty. And the reason why they call it liberty is that they're saying, we're going to give you uh, an opportunity to walk away from the ship for 12 hours, but you're always on duty. You can never escape it. You're always on. You get liberty. You get liberty away from the ship, but you're, you, you are always on duty until your contract is fulfilled and you're out of the service. You're always on. Sin is the same way. When we're born in sin, we're born, Adam sinned as a representative, and he sinned on behalf of the whole race, and we were all born in sin, which means that we were always under sin. It was like the Coast Guard, been under the contract of the Coast Guard, having to serve all the time. We were stuck, not just as sinners, we were stuck under the weight of sin. And not only that, we were stuck under the condemnation of sin. We were deserved of hell. The great thing about the cross is it breaks the contract. It breaks the contract. It breaks the bondage. It allows the, the Coast Guardman to be free from it, and now he can walk away from the ship forever. Forever. There's an element that our old self was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be, notice the word, enslaved to sin. We would no longer be under its curse, its weight. The body of sin being brought to nothing means meaninglessness, meaning it doesn't hold the weight. It means that, that when God is looking at you, even when you sin, he's not looking at you as a condemned sinner on the way to hell. He's looking at you at this one that he's loved and restored, that he's cleaning and caring for and placing you in a better position. He's excited about the process. He's not condemning you in the process. You've been set free. He's not looking at you as a condemned criminal anymore. He's looking at you as one set free, one excited, one with the opportunity to now become walking, become a person who can walk as an image bearer of Christ. The body of sin is brought to nothing. It doesn't hold its weight on you anymore so that we're no longer slaves to sin. We do not have to obey its lusts anymore. Now you might say, I do, and I'm going to give you some thoughts on that. Paul will give you some thoughts on what to do. But here's what he's saying. The guilt is gone. The condemnation is gone. You are no longer part of that team. You, have been, you are no longer in the condemned race anymore. You have been set free. You are part of the family of God. That's the good news. Notice what he says in verse 7. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Right? If the wages of sin is death, and you died, you're set free. It's good news. 
Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe we'll live with him, right? We get life, and we know that Christ, is being, that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again, right? It was a one-time death. He's not being re-crucified week in and week out. He died once. God covered it. He raised him from the dead. Death no longer has dominion over him. It's over now. For the death he died, he died to sin. He killed it once. Done. Stick a fork in it. That fish is ready to eat. Right? That's what it means. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Now he's been set free to a whole new life. A whole new life. A whole new way of life. That's what our new life is in Christ. Which is what this whole point of this whole passage is. It's really giving, talking to people, saying, but what about sin? I struggle with it. Here's the resurrection message. Sin doesn't own you anymore. That's the message. And it never will. It never can. Period. Why? Because you died with Christ if you've trusted him. You've been raised with Christ. You've been given his spirit. That's the good news. Okay. But now you say, but Steve, if you knew what I did yesterday, this passage wouldn't even cover it. I'm not walking this way. Paul knows this. This is not a passage saying you're going to be sinless. This is a passage saying that that what sin demanded of you, your death, has been lifted. That the enslavement to sin has been lifted. And now you have the opportunity to do three things. Three glorious things. And let me give them to you as I wrap this up. Three glorious things you have been given, able to do. The first is this. It's found in verse 11. You get to reject sin. Notice what he says, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. He says the first application is is how you think about yourself. Do you get up in the morning thinking, oh, I'm going to do it, I'm going to blow it, it's going to be bad. No, don't think of yourself that way. If you trusted Christ, man, you've been connected to his death. And you've been given his spirit, at his, the same spirit that raised him from the dead. Okay, so what do you have? You're dead to this now. So therefore, don't put yourself in positions where you will start to obey sin. I want to speak to the young people because you'll understand this illustration. You know, when you're young... Your parents, especially like you're a teenager, your parents have a tendency to put rules in front of you. Places you can go, places you can't go, right? And so your parents say to you, hey, I don't want you going to that movie. And you say, why? Well, because I don't think it's a good movie. Why, right? I mean, that's the way it works, right? Parent says it, they say, why? And, and that's the, 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 the relationship. And, and, and the parent says, listen, I don't think it's appropriate. What, don't you trust me? Well, that's not the point. The point isn't whether or not they trust you. The point is this. There are situations that I can walk in as a middle-aged guy. I can walk into a situation and find myself obeying sin if I put myself in the right context. I can walk into the right situation as a middle-aged pastor who's been teaching the Bible for almost 30 years. I can still walk into a situation and be pulled to obey sin. Because there's this residue in my body of sin. And Paul says, don't do that. Because you don't have to do it anymore. 
You got the good news. You get to be set free. Don't present your body to this. Sometimes, you know, parents are saying, I don't want you there. Why? It's because you're going to put yourself in a situation where you're going to want to sin. Because we want our flesh is kind of crying out going, hey, what about me? You know, remember how much fun we had when we were sinning together? And you're going, and you get in that situation. He says, don't do that. Because you don't have to do that anymore. Then he gives you the second piece of advice. He says, you get to serve God. Look at verse 13. Don't present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Members meaning your body. But present yourself to God as those who have been brought brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Could you imagine waking up every day saying, all right, this body has been set apart to serve God. So from the moment I open my eyes to the moment I go to bed, I want to start thinking that way. God, how do I serve you? Rather than what's best for me, God, what's best for you right now? What's the best way I can serve you? He's saying this is how you should start thinking about your life. Your hands, your feet. He's actually talking about what you do with your day. He's actually talking about it. And we're not talking about a set of rules. I'm not talking about saying, okay, so here's the Kishwaukee Bible Church approved list of Netflix films, and here's the approved list of Hulu films, and here's what you can watch on Amazon. It's not that. It's you actually saying, God, I want to serve you with my hands, serve you with my feet, serve you with my body. That's what I want to do. Whatever it means, I just want to serve you. Right? He's saying, this is what you get to do now. Why? You're not enslaved to sin anymore. Don't present your body as if you're not set free. You're set free. But then he gives you the third piece of advice, right? He says, reject sin, serve God. And the third thing he says, stand in grace as you do it. Verse 14, for sin will, not ha- sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under law but under grace. Right? You don't have to sin anymore. That's the good news. And, you know, law is only given when people aren't forgiven. Right? That's what you give laws for is to, to kind of corral sin. But now that your sin has been forgiven, I don't need to tell you what movies to watch on Netflix. I just got to tell you, serve God with everything, with your heart, your mind, your soul, your body. But, and remember, as you do, you're in, under the grace of God, which means that when you blow it tomorrow, God is not waiting to smash you like a bug. He's saying, just let's make it clean. Let's make it right. Let's keep going. I've, I'm not rejecting you anymore. It's over. That's the good news of the gospel. I've been transferred into a whole new family. I got a new name, man. I'm part of a new family. I have hope that way. I get to stand in grace. So, Here's the good news of Easter. Here's what makes Christianity distinct. Here is the message of the cross. That you have been united with Christ at his death. God did that. I don't know how he did it, but he did it. That's what the Bible teaches. Which means that God was killing your sin on the cross. It's not a legal fiction. Your sins have been paid for. You get forgiveness. When Christ rose from the dead... He not only rose from the dead and the spirit not only came to him and gave him life, God had planned on also giving us that spirit. So if you feel dead today, you can have life, true life, that not only extends here on this earth, but even in the life to come. And then you are free from the bondage of sin. And so there's two responses. First, so if you've never trusted Christ this morning, today is the day to say, I want to be forgiven. I want life. I don't want to be mastered by sin anymore. And you can do that by saying, I trust in you, Christ. And then on April 10th, 
You can be baptized right here, which would be great because we have an opportunity to proclaim we died and we were raised with him. If you have trusted Christ, then the message of Easter would tell you, reject sin and serve God and stand in grace as you do it. Why don't you stand with me? I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing one a song in response to this. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you for the glorious news of the cross. Our sins have been forgiven. Life has been given to us. We are set free from sin's hold over us. What a glorious message, Lord. For those who do not know this, those who are walking here feeling the guilt and the shame of their sin, who are afraid, to those who feel dead inside and feel as if all they can do is just keep living on the treadmill that they're living on. Lord, may they hear this message today. May they know that if they cry out to you, their sins can be forgiven, life can be given to them, and the treadmill can be broken, and they can walk with you, God. May they hear that, believe that, trust in that, God. And for those who have trusted in that message, may they no longer present themselves as if that message isn't true. May they reject the sin so they don't obey it anymore. May they walk away from that. May they present their bodies to you to live for you every day. And may we stand in the hope of grace. that We're all going to blow it. But we're not under law. We don't fear you. We know you're there to gently restore us. The glorious news, Father. And I pray that this news would enliven in our souls as we worship you and fellowship. Christ name. Amen. Thank you for joining us at Kishwaukee Bible Church. For more information about our church, please visit our church's website at kishbible.org. That's K-I-S-H, bible.org.